We're so glad that you're here today, whether you're down here or up there, wherever you might be worshiping with us, we're so glad that you are here. And uh, one of the the things that we tend to forget sometimes about hope is that we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. We are one church in multiple locations. And so from time to time, all of our campuses get together, and it's important that we all get on the same page and all hear the same message. So normally you've got me up here yakking at you, but today uh, we're going to hear from our senior pastor, Mike Householder, uh, as well as all of our campuses are uh, as we continue to go through this series uh, that we're in. And so we've been in this series the last couple weeks. We just kicked it off last week, actually. Uh, on the books of First and Second Samuel. Now, they're originally meant to be one book, and that's our book of the month for the book of June here as we do 12 books in 12 months as a church. And so we started with First Samuel last weekend, and we're going to be continuing in the next couple weeks into Second Samuel. They were originally written as one book. And I don't know, maybe you haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament recently, but one of the things that's fascinating about the Old Testament is how relevant it is to our lives. And I think we're going to find that out today with a story that I'm guessing as you heard the scripture reading, you're like, oh, I know where this is going, right? If you grew up in the church, if you grew up in church uh, at all and went to Sunday school, I'm sure somewhere on that flannel graph in your basement Sunday school room, there's the story of David and Goliath, right? We've all heard this before, but I think that God is going to surprise you today with this story that maybe you've heard many, many times with something absolutely brand new. God is going to do something new in our hearts this morning. And so we've been going through this series together. I hope that you're following along at home. There's daily Bible readings at the Welcome Center on your way out. And as Mike brings a message today, I would encourage you to, to get out your Bibles uh, or your Bible apps, or your phone or whatever you have. If you need a Bible, these Abundant Life Bibles are available at the bookshelves all around the worship center, and those are for you to take. We want to encourage you to always have a Bible with you when you come to worship and open that up. We're going to spend a majority of the message today in 1 Samuel chapter 17, right here in the story that you heard read earlier for you today. And so Mike knows he's speaking to you and all the campuses today, and so it's good to be reminded that we are one church church, multiple occasions, a part of one family as well. And I want you to know this today, whatever brought you here, God knows you. He knows your story. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he has you here today for a reason. And so we ask God that he would open up our hearts to this message today. So let's pray together. God, we love you. And we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, the one that makes this all possible, the reason that we gather, the reason that we worship. As the band just sang for us, God, there is no other name, no other name by which we must be saved. There's no other name that's worth getting up in the morning for. There's no other name that's worth worshiping. There's no other name worth living every moment of our lives for. Jesus, we thank you for your word, the way that it penetrates soul and spirit, the way that it cuts right to the heart of who we are. God, I thank you for each person here today. And no matter what brought them here, God, you know their heart, you know their story, And as the Holy Spirit, you know exactly what we need to hear. So speak into our hearts this morning, God. Humble us. Make our hearts soft and receptive to your word. And we're excited because we know that you still slay giants, whatever they might be in our lives. We love you. And we pray all this in your name. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. It's a Cinderella story. It's a David and Goliath story, the movie Hoosiers is. And we all know what that means. Even if you aren't a church person, even if uh, you're you're a part of a culture that looks at the church and has sort of an arm's distance relationship with with it or none whatsoever, even if you've never read the Bible, you still probably have a good sense for what it means to be a David and Goliath story, a Cinderella story. It's 
It's the upset. It's the little hickory uh, basketball team from Indiana, high school basketball team where high school basketball is a religion in Indiana. Enrollment of the entire high school, 64. Against the big school from South Bend in the state championship. This is before there were different classes uh, in for state tournaments qualifying and, and, and you know we do that so that everybody can make state now but back then to make state it was kind of a big deal it, it still is I don't mean that but uh, back then it was every once in a while one of these underdog teams a David versus a monster Goliath would uh, capture the imaginations and the hearts of everyone around. It wasn't just the town of Hickory that shut down, it was the whole state of Indiana because everybody's listening on the radio or, or tuning in to find out what happens. If David can beat Goliath, if the little school can, can beat the big school. There are giants uh, in this story, David and Goliath, and there are giants in our lives too. And you will find, I think, that this story has, has direct application to your daily life. And I'm really excited to be your tour guide and, and to walk you through some things. And also to show you some surprises along the way. Because if you hear this, the beginning of the sermon, you say, oh, David and Goliath, I already know the story. I really don't have anything new to learn. First of all, humble yourself just a little bit and be a little more teachable. Second of all, you might be surprised. You might be surprised that there are some aspects to this story that you've missed, which are going to make the applications far more relevant for you. So let's take a look. First of all, I want to ask, have, have you seen the giant? That's what the Israelites say to one another because Goliath goes out and taunts them on the front line of, of this battle on a daily basis, every day for 40 days. Have you seen the giant? He's so intimidating. He's so scary. He takes life away from us. He takes joy out of us. He, he, he ruins and stomps all over our peace. He, he, he messes with us. He, he, he causes us to cower away and retreat in fear. Have you seen the giant? Who are the giants in your life? Who are the intimidators? Who are the bullies? Who are the ones who threaten to take life away from you or to keep you from living the life your soul longs to live? Who are the ones that practically paralyze you emotionally or threaten to or would like to and will kind of push you over into a corner where, where you can't get out, where you can't be free, or you can't have a full life, where you can't have a satisfied life? As we look into this story, I think you'll discover its relevance for you and its surprises along the way. Goliath is a, is a monster of a human being. He's over nine feet tall, the Bible says. Nine foot nine, another English translation of the original Hebrew says. He wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. He's like Thanos in the Avengers series, right? The biggest box office success in the history of box office, in the history of movies. He's this giant of a supervillain who's going against good and representing evil. And he's, you know, shaking his fist at the light as he stands in the darkness, uh, towering over all of his, his fellow warriors. This is Goliath. Goliath is intimidating. And he wears it uh, with pride. Back up even a little bit more just to set the table and get some context. Let's do a little geography. Here's the Holy Land in the time of King Saul when this battle takes place the, uh, around 3,000 years ago. The orange part of this map represents Israel, this new nation that is emerging. 
They'd never had a king before, and so here's their first king, Saul. And as we talked about last week, as we began this series on life lessons from King David, who would be the next king, we discovered that Saul had all sorts of flaws and was kind of a complicated leader and had some moments of faithfulness and some moments of great disobedience. But before this new nation of Israel emerges, there are 12 wandering tribes ruled by judges. Now they have a king. They longed for a king, and God gives them a king, and he's Saul. And so this nation starts to emerge, and that's merge, and that's the orange part of this map. And they're surrounded by nations, some of them more friendly than others, but the one least friendly is Philistia, the, the Philistines, who actually aren't from this part originally, but are from the island of Crete, south of modern-day Greece. They're seafarers, and now they're coming into this part of the Mediterranean and trying to take over this region of the world. And they're aggressive. And they're on a roll. They're undefeated at war. They don't lose. And everybody around them knows it because they have people like Goliath in their army. They have battle warriors, these super villains. And so they're steamrolling their way around the Mediterranean region and they're starting to take over and that's their goal. Take over as much as they can. They're the bullies. They're the, they're the street gang that wants to rule that neighborhood. They, 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 then they'll crush anything that's in their way and this new upstart nation of Israel is in their way. Geographically, also over to the right is a topographic map of this same region. Here's the Dead Sea to the south, the Sea of Galilee to the north, the Jordan River that weaves between them, uh, and then the Mediterranean off to the west. If you haven't been to this part of the world before, you might have missed how mountainous it is. And it is. In fact, Jerusalem is just west of the Dead Sea, and the northern part of the Dead Sea is built right into this mountain range, and Bethlehem's just a few miles south. Jerusalem is where this new capital city is going to be established for Israel, and Bethlehem is the city of David, the city where David grew up and where his family grew up, lived and resided. So they live in the mountain range. Between the mountain range where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are and the Sea of Galilee is this coastal region where modern-day Tel Aviv is. And so from that coastal region, to get from the Mediterranean to Jerusalem or Bethlehem or any of the other cities that were most populated in this mountain range, you had to walk through these valleys. And you can kind of get a sense for the, the veins of these valleys that were marked by these rivers or streams that would, would weave through these subsidiary bodies of water that would connect the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. And they would be surrounded by uh, mountain ridges on either side and still are today, including the Valley of Elah or the Oak Valley. Elah means oak. And so this Oak Valley, which is still there to this day, it is beautiful and scenic and lush kind of foresty even, but there's this valley where this river runs through it, and then there are the mountain ridges on both sides, which is the point at which, it's kind of the key point geographically, where the Philistine army comes from the south, the Israelite army is protecting their land from the north, and they're meeting across this brook or this stream, this river. And this is where the Philistine uh, great warrior, Goliath, the giant bully of a man, stands at the edge of the river and mocks the, is the entire Israelite army. Each and every day, for 40 days and 40 nights, he stands on the edge of the front line and he says, who dares to fight me? I'm Mike Tyson and you're Buster Douglas and you have no chance, right? 
There's no way that this is ever gonna happen. I'm the undefeated champion. Everybody goes down in round one when they fight me. You don't have a hope of defeating me. And the Israelite army agreed. <laughs> they retreated in fear. And they, 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 they were trying to protect their land and the battle hadn't broken out yet, but they were afraid that it would at any moment. But what Goliath was proposing was, let's just go one-on-one -on -one to settle this. So we don't have to slaughter your whole army, we'll just make you slaves. So send your best warrior and we'll fight one-on-one -on -one, and whoever wins the fight, the other nation becomes that nation's slaves. Into this context, we start to realize just how much is at stake, and not just historically for the nation of Israel and the Philistines, but also for us, because what happens here in these days has everything to do with why all of us are here today by the thousands at all of our campuses, and hello to all of our campuses who are watching, to Ankeny and Des Moines and, and to Ames and to Waukee and Grimes. Here we are because here they were. They were all there and they're meeting in this moment of truth. And so we start to realize surprise number one in this story, if you take a closer, deeper look at it, is this story isn't just a comic book fantasy or a Sunday school flanograph lesson. This is a, um, this is, if it was a movie, it would be a rated R war movie. And if you don't believe me, go into the text and read it. Read, read how graphic it gets and how, how violent it becomes. There's a lot at stake here. And it goes way beyond just some sort of, with all due respect to the Avengers, that's not real, okay? That's made up stories. That This is true story stuff. This is stuff that affects all of us in real life. So here's the Philistines and here's the Israelite armies and they're about to do battle and here comes David. David is sent by his father Jesse from Bethlehem to the front lines, not because Jesse wants David to fight and be in the army, because David's like a middle school kid, as I said last week, who's in power life confirmation classes, right? He, he, he's probably, his voice hasn't even changed yet. And so he shows up because his father sends him to bring some food to his three oldest brothers who are in the Israelite army. But not only that, this is just a quirky kind of fun side note in the story. He also gives David an assortment of cheeses for King Saul. <laughs> not Jesus, cheeses, all right? So cheese, he, bring, he, is, he will be the father of many generations later of Jesus, but he's bringing cheeses, an assortment of cheeses like, hello, King Saul, here's some cheese for my father. Thought it would cheer you up as you get intimidated by the giant. Here's a Swiss, for instance, which is a cheese that'll be named after a nation that doesn't exist yet, but someday it will, and they'll name the cheese after it. It's holy cheese, so that's the one he brought, right? <laughs> no, should I not have done that one? Okay. Just keeping you with me, because this is important. Because here's surprise number two, God's been preparing David for this fight his whole life. But you don't see it on the surface. On the surface, you're just like little pipsqueak David, the little teenage boy against the massive warrior giant. David has no military training. But here's what he's got, which is why he picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them into a shepherd's bag when he started to look around and see what was happening. And he listened to Goliath taunt his fellow Israelites. And for some patriotic pride reason or because of his faith or a combination of both, he said, that's it. And so he walks up to King Saul and he says, 
I'll fight him. Nobody else in the army will fight him? I'll fight him. Only it's probably when I'll fight him. I'll take him on. <laughs> right? So King Saul's a little worried about this. Says, this is our best chance. We're going to send up this little kid, this teenager, against this massive warrior undefeated giant? Well, we're done for. But nobody else will fight. And so Saul's finally convinced. But the reason he's finally convinced is because David's going to tell him a story. He says, I may not be a warrior. I may not be military trained. I, I may not know how to wear the armor because Saul tries to put the armor on him. But David finally just like, well, can you imagine a teenage boy wearing 125 pounds of armor? <laughs> okay, let's fight. I mean, there's no way. So he takes it off. He takes his sword. He puts the sword. I don't want the sword. I don't want the spear, I don't want the javelin, I don't want any of it. All I want is my shepherd's staff, my five smooth stones, and my slingshot. Because David has been prepared for this fight his whole life by God. Surprise, number two. First one is this isn't a comic book story. Number two is David was ready for this more than you might think. David says to Saul, he says, you know, I'm a shepherd, and so... I, you know, this is before cell phones where when wild animals came and attacked the sheep, a pack of wolves, lions, bears, David couldn't call in for reinforcements. He had to fight them off himself. And he didn't have a pistol. He couldn't shoot them away. So there he is. He's going to have to figure out a way to protect his family's livelihood. So what does he do? He learns how to use a slingshot. Self-taught, probably, and we're not talking about the slingshot you bought at Kmart when you were a kid, you know, the little plastic thing with the rubber thing that pops back and you hit your brother if you aim right. Not that I know anything about that. We're talking about a lethal weapon that was made for war and that shepherds would use to fend off wild animals to protect their sheep. Two leather cords that were attached with a pocket that you would put one of these stones in and you would whip it around like Jenny Finch, the US Olympic softball pitcher, remember her? Who would just mow them down one after another, throwing fire at the other team, strike one, strike two, strike. She is like, she was uh, incredible, she, she was superhuman. She, she would whip it around and whip it around and whip it around and throw this underhand pitch from her knee that would rise toward the batter. They couldn't catch up to it. There's no way. And the reason I chose a softball pitcher instead of a major league pitcher, even though they both throw heat, is because that's the way somebody who's throwing a lethal slingshot is going to whip it and sling it. It's not going to be like a cowboy thrown from above like we usually think. It's going to be whipped underhand because you get more velocity and then you let go of one of the cords at just the right moment. And then if you learn how to not just throw it and sling it with velocity but also accuracy, you don't want to fight this guy. You don't want to go to bat against Jenny Finch either. You don't want to go up against this kind of velocity, this kind of accuracy, this kind of talent. That's how David gets the job. He says to Saul, I know how to use one of these things. I know how to use the slingshot. So he shows up, and here's another surprise then. Surprise number three, David isn't just a poet and a musician who wrote most of the Psalms, he did. He's also a fighter. He's a lover and a fighter, right? He's both, surprise. 
So David shows up for this fight and, and uh, he has the slingshot and he says, you come to me because Goliath's been taunting the Israelites. Now David's gonna throw some trash talk back at Goliath. I just kind of like that, right? You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Today the Lord will conquer you and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Let's read that last part of the verse together, the part that's highlighted in yellow. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us, which leads to the biggest and most important surprise of all. It's not a fair fight. We know that, right? It's little teenager David, the underdog against the big giant Goliath. Anybody, he said, that's not a surprise that it's not a fair fight. It's obvious it's not a fair fight. You got the undefeated warrior champion against a kid who's never had one war battle in his whole life and all he does is protect some sheep with a slingshot and he's had no armor. It's not a fair fight. Of course it's not a fair fight. No, that's a surprise. It's not a fair fight for Goliath. He has no chance. He has zero chance of winning this fight. He just doesn't know it yet. But clearly David does. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Now, I want you to go back and look at your giants again. I want you to go back and think about your bullies. I want you to go back and consider the intimidation they throw your way. And I want you to start to see this for the way it really is. Now. If it's not a godly fight, and if you're just, if you've got people coming after you because you've done some evil things, well then you gotta sort that out in a different way. But what David knew was this wasn't his fight. This really isn't a story of David against Goliath. This is Goliath against God, and it's not a fair fight. He's got no chance. And here's the thing that I think is really important for all of us to remember as we face our giants. If we know our lives are aligned with God, if we know that this is a holy thing, if we know that what we're doing is righteous, then it's not a fair fight for our enemy. It's not a fair fight for the giant that stands before us and tries to intimidate us. Because it isn't us against our giant, it's our giant against God. And in the long run, in time, at some point, that giant is going down. That giant isn't going to last, but you and your faith will, which leads to the fifth surprise. David's confidence for this fight did not come so much from his fastball as from his faith. It wasn't what he thought he could do, his talent as a shepherd. I mean, that's a part of it. God prepared him in that way so that he didn't just go into battle with nothing. But it wasn't because David went up there and said, I'm going to win this fight because I'm such a great slingshot slinger. That's how I know I'm going to win. No, David doesn't say that. He says, the reason I know this, uh, I'm going to win is because this really isn't my battle. This is the Lord's battle. And if you're on the side of righteousness and you're on the side of God on these things, it's God's battle. And you're on the right side. And hear this part. God is in your corner. God is on your side. You are not alone. God is with you. So now start to see your bullies in a whole new light. Start to see them for the way this story is going to end. Because it's going to end well for you and not so well for them. David takes the stone, slings it with great accuracy, 
puts it right between the eyes, the temple of Goliath, the weak spot, the weakest spot on his body because he's got such accuracy. And God is doing this. God slays the giant. The giant goes down. I can't resist. For those of you from the 70s, down goes Frasia. Down goes Goliath. There he goes. (laughs) 92% of you have no idea what I just said. And I'm okay with that. Google it. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. He will give you to us. Next screen. So David takes the sling, and he slings it at the giant, and the giant goes down. So we've got a lot of surprises already so far. It's not a comic book story. Uh, David has been prepared for this his whole life. Uh, it, it's a, it, it's, he's he's a, a fighter, not just a lover. Uh, he's not just a musician and a poet. He's, he's a warrior. Uh, it's not a fair fight for Goliath. And we have, and, and fifth, big surprise, it's not confidence in his fastball, it's in his faith. Two more as we take one more lap around this story. I want you to find your place in this story. Because I know we all want to say, I'm David. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the hero. I'm, I'm the champion. I'm, I'm the one who comes to fight against the big bullies, and sometimes we are. You are, I am. But the reality is we're all a little bit more complicated than that. And sometimes we're not the hero, sometimes we're the bully. And so I want you to examine this just for a moment. Because just because we're in church doesn't mean that we aren't bullies out there in the world. And I'm not just talking about the playground at school, although I am talking about that, but school's out, so it's not as relevant this week. I'm not just talking about hanging out with your friends or your family. It could be the workplace. And I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about adults. The bullies are all around us, and sometimes I'm the bully, and you're the bully. There are certainly seasons of our lives or moments within those seasons where we're the ones who are intimidating. We're the ones who are manipulating situations. We're the ones who are playing the power games. We're the ones who are pushing people around. We're the ones who are joining into the battle to try to crush other people out of our own insecurities, usually. Out of our own fears, if we're going to be honest. Out of our own sense of, well, I don't quite know what to do with that, so I'm going I'm to bully that person. I'm going to push that person around. I'm going to talk about them behind their back. I'm going to build a small army against them. Fact of the matter is, a lot of us are bullies at different times. We have a lot of examples uh, around us. The one that comes straight to my heart this week is a listening group that we have here at Hope. It's a support group. Um, that the only purpose of it is to give people an opportunity uh, who are openly gay, uh, LGBT or Q, and are Christian, or are looking into Christianity, and show up and need to share. And you might say, what, what does a group like that need to share? I mean, seriously, what's the problem? Your, uh, your bias and your temptation to bully is starting to show. I'm just going to let you know that, if that's where you start. Because here's the thing I know for sure, and the thing that I've learned from this group, and I'm going to keep it very vague and very general because it's a confidential group, but it's a growing group and it's a big group. You do know, right, that this church has more openly gay people than any Lutheran church in the country by far. You do know that, right? And we praise God that they are here and are a part of the family, are a part of this family. 
That's going to make some of you feel uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that. And I don't mean that in a snooty, arrogant way. I mean that in a deeply respectful way. It's part of the journey. But there is no doubt in my mind that Jesus Christ would say, you need to stand up against injustice and bullying that happens against any group, against anyone, because of who they are. If you're going to be my followers, if you're going to be my church, you can't just stand back in silence. You can't just stand over here and say, well, I just don't want to get involved in that. I just don't want to be a part of, uh, of offering love for people who, who, who might be longing to be loved because routinely at this listening group, I'm brokenhearted to hear stories of people who grew up in the Des Moines area or in some small town in Iowa, right here in our state. And this isn't our um, shiniest moment as a state. Who have stories that go something like this. I grew up loving school. I was doing well in school. I loved, you know, my classmates, my teachers, and everything. And then people started picking on me because I wasn't exactly like the bullies. And so then it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where I dreaded going to school. And usually now the story is told with tears. Real life, real world tears that aren't alligator. They aren't just like mustered up. This is from the heart sobbing and a full breakdown of reflecting on what it's like to be completely bullied simply because of who they are. That, that's just not right, and that needs to stop. And if you're a part of that, you need to stop. In the name of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't participate in that. You can't be a part of that. I mean, you can, but now you're outside of God's will for your life. You can't keep pushing in that direction. Here's the other thing I've learned from this group, because I don't want to sugarcoat it. I, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, everything is just so easy and wonderful. It's a complicated issue. And there are challenges biblically on this issue which shoot in all sorts of directions. And we're a Bible church. There are challenges that come from Jesus Christ himself. But we have to be the church in all these things. And we have to lead with love. And so here's what we've discovered, is within this group, there isn't consensus. There isn't a full, you know what else I've learned? L and G doesn't always like to hang out with B and T. <laughs> and so it kind of goes back and forth. That's just reality. We might want to just lump it all together and say it's all the same, but that's not truth. And here's the other thing I've learned. Not everybody agrees on how to read scripture on a lot of these issues. But in this church, that's okay. We will teach what we believe scripture teaches on this, but you don't have to believe that to be a part of the body of Christ here. We have discovered that our unity in Jesus Christ is far greater than those issues of this world that would divide us. And this world would love to divide us over these issues and say, well, you either have to be here or here, and if you aren't over here, whatever side of this you're on, on whatever part of this issue you're about, then you can't hang out with me. Well, this group is living proof that that's a false an evil kind of move of the enemy of God. What we've discovered is our unity is greater than, and we hold on to that unity as followers of Jesus Christ. I need to move on, but I just wanted to say that, all right? So here's the bullies. So Goliath is the bully, and his fellow Philistines are the crowd. Maybe you relate more to that. I'm not really the big bully, but I'm on his team. <laughs> I hang out with him, and I'm a, I'm a part of the movement that, that, that oppresses people. And I'm not just talking about sexuality now. I'm talking about any area of life where people can get bullied. 
And most of us can probably relate to that on some level or another. When I was in seventh grade, I was about six foot four and I weighed about 71 pounds. I'm exaggerating just a little. So I grew this way before I started like, you know, evening out. Do you think I got teased a little bit at that stage of my life? No, I got teased a lot by a lot of bullies. And then by the time I got to be a sophomore, I was bigger, faster, and stronger than them and beat the snots out of them. So that took care of, no, that's not true. I had a champion, I had a big brother who pushed back and suddenly they were done because he didn't just want to be a part of a crowd that followed bullies, even though he was the cool crowd in high school. He pushed back for the sake of his little brother who was getting bullied around. And ever since then, especially since God made me big, I try to make sure nobody around me is getting bullied. I try, I don't do it perfectly, but I don't want to be a part of the crowd. I don't want to be a part of the Philistine army that just sits back in silence and says, that's okay. And I don't want to be a part of the Israelite army either that is truly silenced. They're the next one. They're the ones who are sitting back in fear and aren't living life and have joy and peace and life sucked right out of them. I want to be the champion, and I'm sure you do too. I want to be David. I don't want to be Goliath. I don't want to be the Philistines in this story. I don't want to be the Israelites. I want to be David. I want to be the, I want to be the one who stands up for righteousness and for justice and for truth and for, and for the greater good. I want to be that person, and I'm sure there's something deep inside of you that wants to be that person too because God made you with that inside of you. Good. Tap into that. Strive to be that person. But here's the reality. Surprise number six is that um, sometimes we're, we're not going to get there. Sometimes we're not going to get there. And so this story of David and Goliath is actually more than just a story of David and Goliath. If we read it in the totality of Scripture, it's also, here comes the surprise, a prophetic, a prophetic preview of the story of our Savior and Lord and Messiah, Jesus Christ, and the salvation of us. The son of David, Jesus Christ, stands up against the giants that you and I can't defeat. As much as we want to be the champion, the reality is we need a champion. As much as we want to conquer death, and look at all the ways we try. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to work out. I'm going to be big and strong and fast, and I'm going to live forever. No, I'm not. There's nothing wrong with trying to get healthy. That's a very godly and good thing. Take care of this temple, this body God has given to you, the Bible says. That's a godly and good thing. But you can't get there from here. We, we can't get to immortality and everlasting life just by being healthy. We need a champion. We can't, no matter how healthy you get, it won't be healthy enough to live forever. You can't be the one who constantly comes through, who fights all the giants by yourself. We can't overcome death. We can't overcome sin. We can't stop doing it, truth be told. We can't overcome the darkness of evil in the world around us. We need a champion. And here comes our champion to fight, as Martin Luther famously writes in the great classic Thumper Hymn, A Mighty Fortress. But now a champion comes to fight. And what's his name? His name is Jesus Christ. Everyone tell me and shout out his name with praise. What's his name? Jesus. He's your David. He's your hero. He's the one who defeats and destroys the enemies you can't defeat. But, last surprise, number seven. 
That's not a cop-out. That doesn't mean we can just sit back and say, oh, well, Jesus will come and fix everything and I'll just wait. (laughs) Here's the cool thing about Jesus. He's calling you into the game. Surprise. He's calling you to fight the good fight. Now be very careful with this. Jesus doesn't say fight every fight you want to fight. (laughs) So you go see the bully in your neighborhood this summer, you're like, my pastor told me to punch your lights out right between the eyes. No, I did not, all right? That's your own unrighteous fight. I'm talking about knowing that you know that you're on the side of God. I know we live in a world of shades of gray when it comes to all sorts of issues, but there are some things that are clearly evil and some things that are clearly good. Stand with good and stand against evil. We are lovers, but the Bible also calls us to fight the good fight. And where we see evil, we have to fight. Come on, church. We have to fight. You were not created and called to follow Jesus Christ so that you could be comfortable. So that you could just sit back and passively be a part of one of these silenced armies. They're like, well, I'm just going to watch this and see how this goes. Contribute a verse. Make a contribution. Say something. Stand up against the bullies. When you know that it's dark and evil, when you know it's on the other side of God, don't just sit back and say, well, Jesus will come and fix this. Because here's what Jesus says. He says, you are not the Messiah. You are not Christ, but you are the body of Christ. That's what his scriptures, the living word of God says. You are the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, and individually members of it, so act like it. Fight the fights that Jesus fights. Say the things that Jesus said in the situations where they need to be said and nobody else is saying them. Because there are a lot of bullies out there. This last week, I mean, I just find it almost humorous, God's timing. I was getting creamed. I mean, absolutely creamed. Part of being a part of Lutheran Church of Hope that's just awesome is we're part of this thing God is doing, this this growing, booming, multi-site megachurch. It's now actually technically called a gigachurch. It's so big. The largest Lutheran church in America, if not the world. And so God puts us here not because, oh, we're so great and we had this dream, right? God puts us here because God chose to put us here for reasons only God knows. But here we are, and the bigger we get, the bigger the target gets on our back. And I'm not talking about from the inside, I'm talking about from the outside. And one of the joys of being the senior pastor of of any church is when you get criticized, it comes to your desk as a church from the outside. Oh, we'll just give that to the senior pastor. (laughs) So here it comes in this last week. Man, I felt like I had to take cover. I mean, it was coming from the outside, from people who don't even know us. But you know why they're attacking us? Because we don't fit their social agenda, their political agenda, their worldview, which is completely something they've manufactured on their own. And they wrongly see this fight the wrong way. And they say, well, the church is just a little peon. It's just the little teenage boy David. And we're the big giant Goliath. And, and, and we're, we're over here on the right side of history. And, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. I'd rather be on the wrong side of history than the wrong side of God. Because this is God's fight. This is God's fight. And here's the thing. If, you, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I know what he's talking about. I see what this is all about. You, you don't. 
Because what this is about is people who attack the church of Jesus Christ, and it's not just hope. It's any church that stands loudly and proudly for Jesus Christ like we do. We're gonna get hit from both sides, from the theological left and the theological right, from the political right and the political left, from the social left and the social right, and we got hit from all of those this week. I mean, all of them, just bombarded by, like I've never seen before, because this culture is just getting more and more hostile toward one another all the time, all the time. Enough. So there was a moment this week, early in the week, when I'm on a walk with my wife, and I say to her, I said, man, I don't know. How can you navigate as a church and find your way through the fray, through the swords that are being thrown both ways, and you get, you get caught in the crossfire? How, how do we do that? I was like, I don't know, because I was just doing it all by myself. <laughs> me against Goliath. That's not a good fight for me. And then I sit down and I look at him and I'm like, what am I preaching on this week? <laughs> oh, wow. David and Goliath, what can we learn from this story? Oh, wow. It's not David's fight, it's God's fight. It's not my fight, it's not our fight, it's God's fight. And here's the thing I wanna be very clear on. We will continue to get attacked the more divisive this world gets. And we need to be ready for it and we need to be prepared for it. And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that because this church, Lutheran Church of Hope, will always be a Jesus church. We will always stand up boldly and loudly for the cause of Jesus Christ in the world and we won't minimize it and let it become about anything less than that. <laughs> Praise God for that. So here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm not worried about the bullies. I think we're gonna get more. Yeah, followers of Jesus Christ are called to be lovers, but we're also called to fight the good fight. Are you ready? Because the vision God has given to us for the next 10 years, we're about to celebrate our 25th anniversary and in the fall we'll unveil the new 10 year vision. It's all about love. <laughs> It's all about sharing the love of Jesus Christ with the world around us. And it's all about staying above the fray. Staying above the fights that they try to pull us down into. Staying above the, 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 the minimizing of the church of Jesus Christ. And thinking we're just a teenage boy with a slingshot against a massive giant. No, we're just called into the game is the body of Christ, and this is Christ's fight, and this is his love that he wants to pour out on the world around him. And we get to contribute a verse. We get to be a part of the journey. We get to be a part of, of the whole thing. And I couldn't be more excited about it. I've never been more excited. Wow, talk about an up and down week. At a certain point, I was like, I don't know. And now I see. <laughs> Now I see what this is, and I remember we're on the winning team. It's not that we're the Messiah, we're not the Savior. Turn to the person sitting next to you, whatever campus you're at, and say, you are not the Messiah. You are so not the Messiah. You are not Christ. But now turn back to that person and say, but you are the body of Christ. Go ahead and say that, you are the body of Christ. So I act like it. 
act like it. Stand up against the bullies. Stand up against the bullies who are picking on the gay kids. Stand up against the bullies who are picking on the Christians. Stand up against the bullies who are going after other people at work who don't quite fit in and, and like to tease them and mock them out of their own insecurity and their own fear. Stand up against the bullies. Stand up against the giants. Stand up against the darkness. Stand up against the evil and stay true to the word of God every step along the way and know that along the way that just because you disagree with somebody, absolutely push away the lie that if you disagree disagree with somebody, you can't be friends. You can't hang out. Enough of that. Our unity in Jesus Christ is greater than, and this will be a Jesus church. So we close this sermon of David and Goliath with that last surprise. We're called into the game, and now you'll see why I picked Hoosiers for our movie of the day. Because as Hickory is about to go into the final battle, the championship game, against the big giants from South Bend, the massive school. And they have a little conversation in the locker room. And it's all about love, which is our greatest weapon. And it's all about unity and mission and purpose and fighting the good fight. And then the town pastors come in for the pregame devotional. What Bible story do you think they picked? Take a look. So if you're wondering, spoiler alert, Hickory wins the state championship. And if you're like, John, why did you give away the ending? The movie came out in the early 80s. Sorry. <laughs> I believe not only the greatest sports movie of all time, but my favorite movie of all time. Because every single one of us longs to defeat the giants in our lives. But hear me say this. There are some of you that are sitting here today saying, great sermon, Pastor Mike. My giant's still in front of me. Cute message. He's still there. And he's not defeated yet. I've been in hospital rooms way too much the last couple weeks. I've sat in your living rooms way too much the last couple months. Way too many coffees, way too many lunches to know that Goliath is defeated in all of your lives. In that way because there's death and there's cancer and there's newborn babies that have to have surgeries and it's not fair. And I know it's really hard to hear that the giants have been defeated. So how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you handle that? This isn't just a cute Bible story. This is real life, right? And we're in this together as the church because you know that this story points the story. When a Messiah from the lineage of David named Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, lives and dies on that cross and rises again, defeating the three Goliaths, the three bullies, the three giants will never be able to defeat. And that is sin and death and the power of evil in this world. Whatever you're up against today, know this, that those Goliaths have been defeated. And because you know the end of the story, you can face whatever giant is still in front of you. Even if you don't know when that giant's going to be defeated, we don't get to control the timing. We don't get to control anything. You can live today with hope. And that's why faith, like David had, is not measured in strength. David didn't go out there saying, I'm going to be so strong and muster up and have a strong faith. 
Our faith is not measured in strength. Our faith is measured in surrender and our ability to surrender to the strength of our champion. When we are weak, he is strong. The invitation is not to be strong today. It's to be weak. It's to surrender to the God of the universe. You have a champion. We have a champion. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's our confidence today. Let's stand as we close and sing about our champion, Jesus Christ.